if you're like me and you spend hours every single day in front of the screen the last thing you probably want to do is just open it again right before you sleep so you can browse something or read like a book whatever it was that you do well it's probably exhausting as well and it annoys your eyes i'm sorry my nose is a a bit congested but you know it's allergy season well anyways um you know now everything being so tech related everything being online and on the internet it's it's hard to disconnect and let me tell you something newsly has a solution for you it's an all-in-one audio super app for ios and android it picks up the top trending articles on the web on topics you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice that way the entire web becomes listenable for the first time and all in one place so now you can just stop scrolling and start listening you know start making use of your time uh, spend less hours you know staring at the screen and probably damaging your eyes and now you can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports tech business science bitcoin or even the kardashians you know usually has it all basically and guess what they have podcasts too so you can now explore uh, top trending podcasts from over 80 countries and the high low is on there too you can download and use newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the description and use the promo code the high low which would also be placed in the description and receive guess what a one month free premium subscription without further ado let's get this episode started So yeah, sorry about the mix-up that happened. Uh, I thought you were just going to go because you said you have like a doctor's appointment. Uh, thank yeah. the Lord. But you've waited for like a solid hour, didn't you? What's that? You waited for I like a solid hour. No, I got up this morning and uh, it was on, we're scheduled on time. You know, I, I, it was my confusion. I don't know. The interview, when I when I got your email, it said, uh, it said uh, 3 p.m. GM time plus zero three, mm. and so when I put that into Google, it come up as 9 a.m. here. Now I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. You know, and so and so, and I was thinking we were scheduled at six, which mm. I don't know what time it is. Where what time is it now? Where you're at? It's 2:53 uh, in the afternoon or morning. Uh, afternoon p.m. Yeah, so it's 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 it's, it's six. It's almost what is it? It's six o'clock in the morning here. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but I, but oh, I so get up early. Yeah. What, uh, is it like a habit, or or is it something you picked up lately? Yeah, to just have it like an early start. Uh, I get back when I man when uh I went to jail on the twenty first of May, no, on the twentieth of May in twenty twenty one. And I, I've had a history of going to prison and jail. And uh, I don't know what it was about that time, but I knew when I went, uh, they had the COVID, they had the COVID lockdown. And, uh, and so what that translated was you were in a cell 23 hours 
a day, and then they let you out one hour a day to get a shower and use the phone, you know. Mm. And I remember coming out of that cell and it, and it telling, and I'd see people I'd use drugs with, right? You know, because it's where I'm at, it's, you know, not a huge town. And uh, I would tell them, you know, I'm done because I was somewhat of a big time deal. And so mm. since that day, when I got home, uh, I've always I've always got up at four or five a.m. in the morning. You know, I'm always an early riser. Uh, you know, I don't Whoa. think you got to be. I don't, I don't think you got to. You know, but she, to, for me, you know, it's it's. Uh, I like to get up early. I think it does have some benefits uh, for me, at least when I get get up early. I feel like there's more hours in a day. Which is so weird because at the end of the day, right. it's it's the same amount of hours, right? You only have twenty four hours, but mm-hmm. for right. some reason, being up before the sun is up and taking a shower, doing all the little things you have to do, get them done, it gives you this motivation. It like it keeps the ball uh, rolling, right? And you just find yourself accomplishing right. a lot. But then you have, you know, uh, as you're approaching the weekend, you know, it's a Thursday or a Friday, you you end up staying up late and you mix up the whole schedule for me it's just <laughs> it just breaks the routine i wake well, up I'm old, on... I'm old enough are you are you like uh, so do you do you break the routine on weekends or not do you are you usually like a no, routine person yeah i'm i'm old enough where i'm done all, i've done all the partying and getting going, staying <laughs> out late uh i say with a routine i i recently had my leg operated on i had my knee replaced and it's put me in a, it's been kind of a it's stole me in my routine. If there's anything that I've lost in the last two months, because I've been through a lot in the last three, really three or four months, including cancer and all this stuff. And, you know, and, and if anything that's really shook me is, is losing my routine. Uh, because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I started reading, uh, there's a book called 75 hard, which is yeah. written by Andy Frisella. And uh, I started following some of his stuff and I have not ever finished the program. But there's a list of things you got to do. You know, you got you got to drink a gallon of water. You got two workouts. You know, you can't you can't drink alcohol, or you know, and, and you got to read ten pages, and, and then you got to you got to drink a gallon of water. I think I said that. But, but when I started doing that, I found it structure, you know. And then when I had the leg surgery, <laughs> listen, people that tell you that because I, I went around and I asked people, "Oh, you got your knee replaced?" They'd be like, "Yeah." I said, "Well, how was it?" Wasn't no big deal. They're lying to you. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I can Straight tell you that. To you. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, I've had that minor surgery on my right knee. So I've had my uh, a torn meniscus and I had to uh, mm. get it removed. And that's considered like a minor injury. A, sport, a sports injury, mm. usually athletes, they recover within three to four months and they're back on the pitch and they're playing you know, I'd say about the same level they were before the injury. But for non-athletes, people like me, you know, I'm not a professional athlete. I don't have someone following me 24 hours a day telling me what to eat, what to do, how to train. It was it was difficult. I felt, I think the recovery took me around six months to fully recover. But then, even then, I couldn't play sports yet. I had to do physiotherapy. And I think the number one issue that I had was that I didn't start uh, therapy early. I started therapy like four to five months into surgery, which they told me is wrong, but that's what my doctor told me. So I was a bit confused. It was yeah. like a first time experience, but it's not easy. It's not easy. You feel like 
there's an obstacle and it makes you realize how much you used to do and how easily things went in your daily, just yes. a daily life before yes. for all of these injuries. But then you said you also had cancer and and for well, me, I didn't, I didn't have cancer. My mother, my mother had cancer. Your, mo uh, your mother had cancer. Just, oh, right. She, she, uh, we, we went to New Orleans. Uh, I mm. took, I took them down there to New Orleans to do what you do in New Orleans. And we went fishing and, uh, in a place called home of Louisiana. And she told me, she said, she, well, actually the dog had knocked her down in New Orleans and she had fell on her chest and it was bothering her. And she said, you know, uh, I just don't feel good. But that last day we got into the fish and she looked at me, we was hooking them. And she said, look, I'm ready to go. And I said, okay, come home. We had COVID. We all had, we'd all gotten COVID. All right. Mm. And uh, so they, me and my daughter did real well with it. She struggled with it. So she went up to the doctor and got a chest X-ray and they, they found a spot. It was one, one millimeter tiny. And uh, and so they did a biopsy, and then after the biopsy, they confirmed it was cancer. And then that was in October, in late October of, the, of last year, they went ahead and removed half her lung. Uh, and so we we and thirty five lymph nodes, and there's no cancer in the lymph nodes. And so we feel like we've actually beat cancer. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, we've had a, we've had, it's been a blessing. Uh, we do have to do a couple of uh, maybe a, you know like a four dose chemo or maybe a pill once a year or every for a year. Uh, but we're, you know, they, they take, what they do is they take that tissue and then they study it and then they match the treatment with the DNA of the, of the tissue. And okay. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah. It's, uh, so you feel it's, like uh, I didn't have cancer. Oh, okay. No, th thankfully. I mean, and I mean, congrats. Yeah. I, I wish your mother well. Yeah. It's not easy. You know, cancer yeah. is a tedious disease. It's something, do, do you think, they've managed to find a cure but haven't released it because of how much money they could make out of cancer like do you believe in these conspiracies but i think that more and more the conspiracies are true you mm -hmm. know i don't know about that specific one i i probably it's safe to say that there's probably a lot of truth in that statement you know what you're saying mm -hmm. i don't know how true it is uh but i know i know you grew up watching the matrix. You've seen the matrix, right? Yeah. And you know, and there's a, there's a joke here in America that the, the matrix was a documentary. You know? And so, and, uh, and, uh, and so, I mean, uh, I don't, you know, I, I think that I, I don't know specifically how to relate that from where you're at in your culture or where you, how you deal with your government, but here in America, it is a, uh, it's a road show. It's, it's an absolute circus and carnival. And, uh, it's really, it's really hurt uh, who we are and what we believe in because there's a lot of, to us, what they're trying to do is they're trying to eradicate what we consider the middle class. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the blue collar, hey, I go to work, I put in 40 hours, you know, I've got a pension. Those people uh, that, you know, they're trying to make it where you're either so poor you depend on the government or you're in the elite rich, richest group and it doesn't apply. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that I think in a lot. I think, I think, a, a, I mean, a spot on fact is is what we're seeing with the vaccinations and COVID, and how now we're the now we're seeing uh, that the that 
the results are undeniable that some people that took this vaccine are having problems, you know, and some of them are just up and dying and the numbers are supporting it. And mm. so well, the way we turn way, the way I think of it is, uh, is that it was crimes against humanity. Uh, because here we, it was imposed on us to take it. People in the service had to take it. Uh, you know, if you were a teacher or blah, 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 you had to take it. And, uh, and so if you didn't take it, you were fired and left to that, or especially in the military or, and this is the simple amount of small businesses that were closed because of COVID, uh, you know, guys like me and you that, uh, you know, over a million businesses was shut down in, in the year 2020 and 21, simply because of COVID that turns out now they're saying it's kind of like a flu, you know? Well, yeah, I know medication in the U.S. or like the medical sector, they just charge you a lot of money, more than you can handle, definitely. And it's, it's in, yes. I, don't know, I think I've done like a study on it back in school. And it was, I think I was mainly trying to discuss whether pharmaceutical companies are, you know, doing things ethically or not. So they're just charging you insane amount of money that you know you're not going to be able to cover. And then it's just it just goes downhill, downhills from there, from that point, because it's slowly just drowning your resources and you, you won't have money to support it. Right. And uh, I don't know, like, I think as things get worse, when when governments stop caring about these stuff, because you know, people always seek security and security comes from the government. They try to secure work, free education and everything that could help the community rise to a better position. And once that security fades away, this is when the whole community just crumbles and things start getting a lot worse from, you know, crime, theft, um, because people are hungry and people are in need and when people are in need i think their instincts kick in and at that point when things kick in rules don't mean anything to anyone anymore right well yeah you'll see you'll hear you, you'll hear the talk of uh what you're with well, the way i'm receiving what you're saying is is that there's once the poor go to the point past hunger that they're willing to do anything to feed themselves and and what that really points to is this sense of rebellion, you know. And uh, and there is a large talk about, you know, there's a lot of people in America that speak of rebellion because of the current situation, because it doesn't. What's happening to the average American is they're eroding our government. It's it's not it's not based on freedom or anything else. I agree and disagree with your opinion of government. Uh, but that's based on probably because of my culture. I think government should just stay with government and do that, you know, and and uh, and provide protection in our borders. But but you know, I, I think we're seeing in America where government is getting too they're getting too much in everything, you know. In the United States, the government's the largest employer in our country. It employs over a million people, and uh, it's costing us a lot of money, and you know, and and it's uh, it's just it's. Bad, but getting back to what you're saying about when the poor gets get hungry, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about rebellion. And here's the truth. They've never seen war, you know, and no one wants rebellion. No one wants to be sitting in their home 
and then holding a three-year-old that's dying from a gunshot wound because of rebellion, you know, and, and, uh, or war. And, and so the thing that's really keeping all this intact is like you was saying that when people get hungry, they kind of erode the law. Well, the majority of second amendment supporters in America, which is the right to bear arms are law abiding citizens, very law abiding citizens. And the moment that they lose that consciousness that, Hey, the laws do not matter. Then it's, then it, then you'll see a revolutionary change in the country. Let's pray that doesn't happen. And do you think you're getting closer to that point? I think, I think that, uh, I think that we're getting to a point where the bullshit, excuse me, uh, that the yeah, it's level okay. of it's, uh, well, I'll say the bullshit. The bullshit has got is getting so bad that it's undeniable. And uh, and what we have is kind of like we have a what we call a democracy, but really it's kind of like a monarchy. It's two parties that have been in power, and you know as well as I do that neither one of them is going to cut themselves out. You know they're not going to you know. And it comes what we what I see a lot of is a lot of finger pointing towards the other side. Whenever the solution, as well as you know, is to fix what you can fix. You know, it doesn't matter how much I tell you, hey, you've done something wrong. What part do I own in it, and what part am I willing to fix in it? You know what I mean? And uh, and mm. so we're dealing with a lot of that. I hope not. I pray not. We, there's a lot of idiots that think that. Uh, nobody wants that. You know, nobody wants that. And it, you know, you've been in the Middle East. I'm sure that you you've seen conflict. I don't, you know, uh, probably more than I have. You know, and you know, and it always ends bad. You know, it always mm. ends. You know. So. Yeah, things can get pretty rough, and especially when you have two conflicting parties. I mean, the only way—it's not the only way, but one of the most, I think, efficient ways to maybe break down a society is to just break it internally. It's from the inside. Everything should ha should be happening from right. the inside. That way you can just observe and say, I oh, look at me, I had nothing to do with it. So stop blaming me and blame right. them for right. fighting exactly. against one another. Yeah. But like, you see, I think one of the issues could be, I mean, I'm not sure I'm not a politician. I should have probably bought someone else if, if I knew we were going to get into that, like, like a third person to join us no, and maybe give us a bit more insight. But like, I think the fact that you have in the US at least like a, a constantly changing government and, you know, the president can be or has the potential to change every four years, eight years stops. It just, it could halt the progress because you can only do so much in four years. And then another president comes in with another agenda and another um, you know, another ideology and they want to enforce their ideas. They want to see the country going the way they envision it. So they have to break down everything and then start from scratch. And then all you realize is, oh, my time is, up. you know, my, uh, there's no time left. And there comes a new president and the cycle just goes over and over. So I think it's like, a, it gives you like this fake sense of progress and development. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what, what are your opinions? I mean, I could be wrong here. I think I think I, I support term limits. I, I think that you know, but I, I definitely agree with what you're what you're saying. I, me and this guy, we did a we did a lot of crime together back 
years ago when I was acting up and uh and we were sitting there one night and he said, you know, we was watching the elections. And he said, you know, when this is done, you know, whoever voted for whoever, if the other party would just say, okay, they won, okay, let's just get behind this guy for the next four years and see what happens, you know, meaning support him. What would that look like? And I agree with that. I think that, you know, if you had a leader that was uh, for the country, I think that's a perfect resolution. But the problem is right now with the leadership in America, it's questionable. Uh, it is it is sincerely questionable. Uh, we've got somebody, and I'm not a I don't want to bash nobody, but uh, watching him's like watching a sound reel, you know. And uh, uh, it's just been one of those things uh, where we've had to deal with it in America. But now I'm not a politician guy. I'm more of a I do self I do I do more personal development stuff. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just politics is fun to talk about. It's such a people have different opinions, and it's fun when you have two people who are willing to listen, sharing ideas, and not getting into conflicts mm-hmm. and fights, and just having a civil conversation. Right. This is when it adds value. Right. But then you see stuff on TV. You know, people fighting and. We, uh, we've had incidents like all over the world where people throwing chairs at one another. It just gets hectic. It gets messy. Uh, but like, what, what would you like from the U.S. or how do you see, or sorry, let me, let, let me phrase it that way. If you were put in a position of power where you can change things, you have the ability to change the entire like, political system. What do you think is the most efficient way that works the best with the U.S.? I think that's a tough question. That's a good question. And and going back to what you're saying, you're right. There is a need to have a conversation where two people can agree or disagree and not have to beat each other up, you know, or lose face, face value, you know, uh, because a lot of times they'll get so pissed off that, it goes against what they're saying, you know, and it, they look like a fool. But if I had, if I had to change, if I had to change one thing, okay, I would mandate a day that this is the day to vote, okay. You know, there is in America we've got early ballots, we got absent ballotees, we got mail-in ballots. I would mandate the deal. Hey, this is the day that we vote. You vote in person, and it's counted here. Uh, we're loose. There is a lot of questioning about the authenticity of our voting system, you know, and uh, and that's a big deal uh, because it leaves a lot of gray area. And there's quite a bit of factual proof that it is a real thing. Uh, and so when you wrote when I, I mean, that's the, that's who we are. I mean, that's that's the basis of democracy, you know, uh, that, that, you know, uh, you get one vote, your voice gets heard, you know, best man wins. And so I think number one, that's what I would do. I would, re- I would definitely revamp the vote voting system. So, you know, whoever it is that's voting uh, gets a vote. And second, I think, I don't think you can be a country uh, without a border. I don't think you can be a nation without a border and our, and our Southern border uh, do not have a problem with anybody from anywhere South of there. I've visited, uh, and traveled through those areas, great people, uh, good, strong, hardworking people that want a chance at a better life. I get it. And uh, but the problem is, is that uh, 
they're exploited by a large amount of drugs activity and cartel. I know because I used to be involved in it. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and so the southern border represents uh, probably at least 87% of all narcotics that enter into the United States. And, you know, and we're a nation of free thinking people. You know, I don't care if you smoke marijuana or hash or, or you know, I know in the Muslim faith that alcohol is kind of forbidden. I believe that's right. Or, or drinking. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to stuff like, hey, fentanyl and what I was addicted to, methamphetamines, you know, I don't know anybody that can use that stuff and be successful. Mm. And what we're seeing now is, is the amount of deaths are increasing daily because of the the introduction of fentanyl. You know, I don't know how in the Middle East, do y'all have a drug problem in the Middle East? <laughs> yeah, it, it does happen. There's, I mean, I think it's everywhere. There's smuggling happening everywhere. Uh, it's, uh, it's becoming this uh, phenomenon or this, I'm not sure what to call it, but it happens all the time. I think sometimes maybe the the parties involved in the smuggling they could be like official <laughs> parties right and for right, them right. it's it's a source of making extra income especially if that country is poor and struggling financially for them allowing these in or out could earn them extra bucks and allow them to th- maybe survive a little bit more but that's that's like something i've i've never been or like i haven't studied in great depth so i've never like actually mm-hmm. been intrigued to know whether like this is something that is happening around me it could be mm. but i'm not sure mm. like t- to be completely honest okay. uh, i think the news mostly fo- focuses on you know the us and the smuggling uh th- that is being done in um not north south america sorry uh, so in, in mexico brazil and then you have countries like uh Colombia, whatever they focus more on these. I'm I'm not sure why. Maybe it's maybe there's a purpose because uh, I think the news can be misleading and sometimes they it, it's like a propaganda, oh, right? They want you exactly. to see one side and one side only. And I think we've all witnessed that during the World Cup mm-hmm. that that happened in Qatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think it's exactly exactly. Mm, so that makes you question everything. What is, are we actually having a real democracy if you were in the US or in one of the European countries that claims to have a complete free, um, uh, like, like a free system where you can freely express your thoughts? It makes you question about like the values that you used to believe in and the country that you used to mm-hmm. live in. But like something caught my attention here, like something you said, and I want to go back to it. And I think I've seen like some of it being mentioned on TikTok. I'm not sure. I couldn't log in to TikTok because it's currently banned in Jordan for some uh, political reasons. Uh, so I couldn't really uh, get in and take another look. It's been a while since it's been blocked. I think it's like around two months. So I can't really remember the content. But you said you've been to prison and you got involved with drugs and you used to do drugs. And so I, w- mm. I was wondering, like, can you take me through the story? Through the journey, how you ended up being yes, in prison? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, the uh, and and that's that's. I've got like, I don't know. I started a TikTok account in October, and I've got like one hundred fifty thousand followers already. And then and uh, and then we'll put this show on there too. It's it's 
it's it's borderline being restricted though. I took some hits, uh, and I and a lot of people, not only Jordan, but in our college systems here in America, they're banning TikTok as well. Uh, my drug activity, man. I remember, uh, I was like fourteen. We was riding bicycles, drive down the road here, and they said, uh, with a little group of boys, and they said, "You want to smoke some weed, marijuana?" I said, "Yeah." We smoked it. We went back to my homeboy's house. And he went in the house, and his mama knew he'd been smoking weed. And they lived in a mobile home, okay, mm. like an 80-foot-long mobile home. And I remember her. It sounded like Bruce Lee Kung Fu fighting. She whooped it, She whooped him down to all the way one end and come back out. When he come out, he was crying. <laughs> and I and I should have known then that drugs was no good. <laughs> but mm. but uh, <laughs> and so I got I I got involved. Uh, just partying like I think everybody else gets to partying. It's a good time. The women are fast, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's a sense of, uh, of, of uh, power and, and notoriety and, and kind of, you know, when you're in that trade, because you have something that people want, you know, you know, and I, I was, I was naive enough to think that they wanted me more than they wanted the drugs at times. And they just mm. wanted the drugs. And so I got involved in cocaine and uh, and then and then I got busted at at I had a big restaurant called Jason's Burgers and More. Uh, it burnt in 2018, but back in '99 I had started in 1996 and in '99 uh, I was sitting in my office. And I had a cleaver and I was cutting up this cocaine. Long well, I won't go into particulars, but the cops seen through a solid door and knew I was in there cutting cocaine. Okay, whatever, however you, that is, I believe I was set up and uh. And so that started my journey to prison. Uh, while I was on bail, I went to a concert and did a donut in front of the police, got caught again. So I had to go do it. My first time down, I was uh, I got two 12-year sentences with a Class Y felony, which is the hardest felony you can get. Uh, I wouldn't go to work for them. You know, they'd asked me to go to work for them, and, and I said no, and they really punished me for it. Uh, and uh, And so I did that. I did three years on that, got out in like 2002 of course came home really in shape uh was looking really good came home to my restaurant it was still open. My, my family had taken it over did really really well for about a year year and a half and then went back i found methamphetamines and when i found methamphetamines i found the greatest love of my life uh i truly anyone that's been in my position you know you'll hear them talk about hey i love my kids i love my mama i love god that's a, they may, but the number one love of their life was methamphetamines. And so I continued to use and manufacture uh, methamphetamines. Uh, and then was sitting at a family dollar when the police pulled up. And uh, I didn't know it, but uh, I was building a house. And a guy, and it was a legit deal. That's so, so crazy about it. Uh, I owed him some money for work. And the neighbors had called in. I don't know what they were doing down there. I wasn't there. I was seeing my baby. And uh, at the at me and the baby's mother took a hotel room. And uh, long story short, they the car was stolen. So this state police officer comes running by, and he sees the car. He pulls up, and he asks the guy in my car, or asks him, Who, who's driving that car? And the guy in my car said, I am. Well, he just handcuffed him. Well, I had 84 grams of dope in my pocket. And so when he went to go get the handcuffs, I just pulled on out of there and uh, left him holding the gun. 
And then in that series of events, from that moment, in the next five weeks, I got busted four times. Okay. Three times it wasn't it wasn't my stuff and they knew that. But the last time it was definitely my stuff. They had me. And because of the situation I was in, it was either take the plea bargain or they were they weren't going to give me a plea bargain and they were going to put in front put me in front of a whole bunch of older people. And I probably end up getting life in prison for dope. And so I took the plea bargain. It was 54 years total, uh, which meant I had to do – I got a 15-year sentence. I had to do another three years. Went and did that, got out, Come walked out of the jail with uh, with drugs, matter of fact. And uh, that was around 2016. And uh, I used up until 21 – I had gotten straight for some periods of time in my life, like a year or whatever, you know, but I would always go back to it. And, uh, excuse me. Uh, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff, but that's basically the deal. And I, and then in, uh, May of 20, me and the girl I was living with had gotten into it and the police got involved and I went on the run, uh, and I'd call my attorney and I told him what was going on. He said, do you think you can come in clean? I said, I think I can do that, which was a total lie. I didn't think I could do it. And so uh, I had a guy go get me a hotel room in his name. And uh, I went and locked my, myself in a hotel room. And uh, three days later, I was clean. And so I turned myself in. I did 90 days on what we call a parole violation in the United States. And, uh, that case got no process, and and uh, and I'd like to go on record saying, Tiffany, thank you uh, uh, for that, because it would have been bad. Uh, it was a bad deal, and but I, I, it really shaped me who you see today. And so when I got out, and I went to jail for, for last time in May, I got out right at the beginning of September, and I was three hundred twenty pounds. Uh, I was so fat, I couldn't see my pee-pee, all right? And I was just fat, you know? And uh, and I remember getting up because I boxed all my life. I fought. I've, uh, I was always in shape, you know? But I would – you could tell if I, if, if I wasn't in the gym, I was using drugs, okay? And so this idea that we should keep our children involved in sports activities and, you know, external activities outside of their phone is true in my case, okay? You know, uh, and so I come home, I'm 320 pounds. Uh, I would go get a cup of coffee. I'm staying at my mom's, uh, you know. I'd get a cup of coffee and I'd go, I'd get it, I'd go sit on that couch and I'd ask myself at the age of 47, Jason, do you think you're going to make it? And, you know, I didn't know. I was that far out of shape and gone. And and then, so I went to work. I did the I did the typical go-to-meetings thing. I did 90 meetings. I started uh uh, I finished our, my lake home, which is now an Airbnb. Uh, got that finished. Went to school, got my CDL uh, for truck driving semi, and I got all the endorsements. Funny, I can't own a handgun or a firearm in the United States, but I can drive a truck full of di dynamite. That's no shit. <laughs> or missiles or whatever. You know what I mean? I got that, but, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so did that. Uh, did Got that done. The Airbnb went and got a septic installer's license simply because it was it was suggested to me. I had bought a couple about a couple pieces of excavation equipment, uh, and then I bought a semi, and then uh, 
I kind of cashed out every bit of money I had, put my business, had surgery on my arms. I had my elbows done, both elbows, both wrists and two fingers done. That wasn't bad at all. Uh, and then to finish up the uh, last year, I had my, my, I had my knee replaced. And so 2022 was a great year of growth for me. Uh, uh, you know, and so I speak a lot uh, about this experience with drugs in my life. And I speak at it with such a level that, I mean, a lot of things I'm saying is embarrassing, uh, probably to me or a lot of people. But you know as well as I do, if you're going to be a leader, you can't be afraid of what other people are going to say. You know, you're concerned about the truth, you know, and, and how that relates to the individual. Because that's the problem. Most people, especially in addiction or, uh, and that could be with food, that could be with sex, that could be gambling, that could be whatever. There's a lot of shame and guilt, you know, and that will back, that'll kind of like feed the catalyst for them to continue to do it. You know what I'm saying? Because of the shame and guilt, you know, or they'll use that as a reason to continue to use. And so drugs, I'm 48 years old for 30 years of my life, give or take 10 years, you know, in different segments, maybe. So I know for 20 years of, I've steadily used narcotics and I'm lucky to be alive. Uh, if God did, it's obvious enough that there is a God, uh, however you may want to call him. That's, that's, you know, that's perfectly fine. But there is, there is a power that is greater than me because I should have been dead a long time ago. And if I follow into that, if I believe that, then that means that I have some type of purpose and I'm trying to define that purpose. And I'm defining it through TikTok and uh, uh, podcasting. And, uh, you know, I've started to trademark my phrase fluent English uh, and starting to do some merchandising. And uh, I'm having a great response uh, with, with what I'm doing. I'm doing what I get. I'm doing what I love. Matter of fact, I mean, this is what I would love to do. So getting back to where we was at, I, I had, uh, you know, I had the subculture of America, man is that there's a lot of patronization that kind of goes into uh, the gangsters and illicit activities, you know, and, and, they, and you see it in our action movies and, you know, in our, in our you know, theater and, you know, and, and, uh, and the truth is it's a lie. It's a, it's a lie. There is uh, in America, I don't know, in the, in the Middle East, uh, we like to say that there's no discrimination, uh, there, that there's, no discrimination based on color uh, or religion or sexuality. We really lay heavily on it. But what we do practice is, is open discrimination on a guy that's got a felony. And a felony is a criminal offense, you know, and that, mm -hmm. and what happens is, is, is in thousands and millions of cases, people have committed a crime. They've served their time and, you know, in, 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 in their punishment phase, and then it's over, but they still carry this felony on a record. And that keeps mm -hmm. them from like having an alcohol license to open a business in many of the financial sectors and it's open discrimination. And so that's kind of where I'm moving uh, as my maturity level grows in my, in my public speaking, uh, that's the real motive is to change that part of, you know, I believe, and I'm sure you agree, Hey, you make a mistake. I get it. But once you pay your debt, it should be over, you know, and that's not the case in America. No. Yeah, that's what I was gonna 
get at eventually i was i was trying you know to navigate the conversation to that spot it's something i wanted to bring up because i've seen i think i've seen a documentary or something on youtube a while ago and it made me or it gave me this perspective that i've i've never actually thought of before and it's the fact that you know when people leave prison they're left with nothing so as you said this record that they have is preventing them from doing a lot of stuff which is why they end up going back to jail right for them it might be like right. a better option first of all they have more security right. they have at least they have food and a place to sleep and shower which might not be offered because they can't actually get a job another thing is that right. the emptiness when you don't have a job there's this void that's left in your life and you've touched upon that and you said make sure your kids are always involved with whatever extracurricular activity just to keep them busy to keep them entertained and that way they won't i guess take that wrong path and end up using drugs because i think emptiness is what causes people sometimes causes people to go that into that direction it's a direction that they don't want and they end up finding themselves in a hole that they can't dig themselves out of and they can't pull themselves out of and if the community doesn't offer any help how are they supposed to help themselves right i think at that point it's when you right. need the most amount of um direction the most amount of support the most amount of help because you feel you feel helpless and if there's no one to support you you're just gonna have this feeling inside of you that's building up it's like a fire that's slowly getting bigger and bigger and that makes you commit more crimes and the cycle goes on this is at least from my perspective the way i see it the way i've seen it from documentaries so i think what a prison needs to be is not what it needs not to be i guess is a place where the person is tortured where the person is left with no responsibilities where a person feels like they have not developed the prison should be a time where a person reflects it should be where when they uh, get where they learn a new skill and they can use that skill to later on add value to their society mm. yeah I totally I totally agree with that and I think you I think you you hit the nail on the head uh, I think we back up though and we we look at what prison populations look like and I think there's a def definite line in between what we call a violent offender and a nonviolent offender, you know, and uh, under the violent offender, there's, you know, there's some people that, that have made some mistakes, what we consider, you know, manslaughter charges or, and then you got murderers, you've got rapists and you've got what a lot of people consider. And I do too, uh, you know, pedophilia. And, uh, and I don't know how you deal with those people. I don't, uh, uh, I don't know if society has a place for people that hurts children or whatever, or takes people's lives, but the larger scope of America's prison population is nonviolent drug offenses. All right. And uh, you're right. Uh, it's a flawed system because you put them in there and then you turn them loose and they can't, uh, there's so many things that they can't do. All right. And, 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 uh, but they're still, expected to pay taxes and they're still expected to be a part of society, you know, and, uh, and I get, I'll even give them that, Hey, you know, 
I understand that. But at the point when you finish your sentence, when it's over, because you go in America, you go to prison for a while, and then they turn you loose in population of the of society, and that we call that parole, and that's for a period of time, you know, and then that sentence is over, okay? What do you do? And in America, and the generational change we're seeing, we're seeing a whole bunch of people get involved in technology, and the skill sector is depreciating. People that, you know, lay blocks, build bridges, weld, you know, these fundamental skills, plumbing, electrician, whatever it may be. And those people that are in prison serve a prime need and purpose if, if we could refabricate and get them involved in the skill set and then turn them loose because it's going to get bad. It, you know, uh, uh, there's, I know in the state of Arkansas, there's like 10, almost 11,000 registered attorneys. Okay. But there's only 7,000 registered plumbers. <laughs> mm. I mean, that tells you right there. I mean, something's off, you know? And, uh, yeah. but you're direct, it, it, especially, being a guy that's not even here, that's watching it through documentaries, and it's that obvious to you, makes it even more concrete. Mm, you know, yeah. Uh, that I mean, uh, and we know it's we got a flawed justice system. Uh, I don't know how you you know. Uh, it just there's just not a lot of common sense left in the world. You know, uh, yeah. you know it seems like it's uh, and I and my faith. Uh, you know, in the last book of the Bible, it talks about all this, you know, and, and it's funny. Uh, it seems like it's proven it true every day, you know, uh, as man uh, just loses his ability to do what seems so simple, you know. So it's, I think, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, let's say, you know, you have the rapists, you have people who have committed uh, what you consider a high degree offense. And it's a it's a, like a major felony. You're dealing with different minds, right? It's minds that we, I guess, do not understand properly. It's uh, there are minds that have been wired differently, either from uh, their past experience, the way they've grown up the community they've lived in what they've seen and what they've experienced as young kids and it kind of affects the way they're wired and actually there's a a really nice book written by i forgot the name of the author but he was either a psycho um he was either a um a therapist like a, a, a psychologist or a therapist and what the what he did he went to those prisons in the UK, where they put uh, people who have been diagnosed as psychopaths and sociopaths. And he tried to study the ways or the reasons that people become psychopaths. And from my own analysis, and I, I, I'll get the book and I'll, I might leave it in the description or something for people who are interested to read that book. My own conclusion is that people usually turn out to be killers or rapists or even have these unstable um, lives mainly has to do with what they've experienced as kids. So mm -hmm. most of them 
grow up in an unhealthy environment. It's an environment filled with hate, uh, abuse. So they end up growing up with this feeling inside of them. And it's a feeling that they cannot properly express except in this abusive manner. And I'm not justifying it, but I mean, at the end of the day, understanding the mind and understanding the way it's been wired, it's difficult, it's not an easy process because if we did understand it, we'd have a, we'd probably have a solution by now with all the AI technologies and the improvement and advancement in medicine and whatnot. But also, if you think about it, the way they diagnose psychopaths is not very accurate because they do it based on a criteria, right? They have a list of questions and based on the answers, they're able to, uh, they're able to kind of, it's, it's like a spectrum and you're mm. on either end of the spectrum or somewhat in the middle, but apparently there are more than 15,000 possible combinations that could profile you as a psychopath. And that's a lot for me, at least. It seems like, a, mm. like it's not a concrete way of identifying whether a person is a psychopath. But again, that goes back to the fact that we hardly understand the mind. So it's, it's pretty difficult. If you, I think if you want to eliminate such incidents, if you want to eliminate uh, criminals, it's all about like digging the root cause and it's poverty, it's uneducated people, it's, you know, providing everyone with proper healthcare, proper education, helping them, guiding them to know what they want to do in the future. And if they don't even have a job, you could teach them a skill so they could even like, they could provide the basic necessities. Because once you provide the basics, then you can advance from there and rise up the hierarchy and satisfy, let's say, more more personal needs other than food, bed, and shelter. What we're running into, though, and I think is, is first, first of all, I've got some friends that are doing life in prison, okay? And, uh, and a few of them, and it's all murder, a, a few of them were incidents of rage, okay? I mean, they got too pissed off, all right? And they acted out. And Sad to say, that may be a far, that may be a larger percentage of people than we really want to accept because, I mean, the Bible, whatever your teaching is, talks about this. Hey, you know, rage is a problem. Then there's a few of them that have survived kind of like in society in prison and then finally just bit into who they were and they went ahead and rampaged it. I got a buddy that killed three people, all right, that was at my daughter's. Uh, he was, he went with me. I mean, he was a friend of mine, you know, but he was always off. You knew he was crazy. Uh, he had some, you know, he had some views that, uh, you know, he's the kind of, he's the kind of guy that would watch uh, them videos of people getting beheaded. You know what I mean? You know, that was kind of like, you know, and, you know, and, and I'm like, that ain't, he, that ain't, you know, <laughs> I don't want to see that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that ain't, that's a, I mean, uh, or, or, you know, it's not my idea, but, you know, he had that profile. And so for me, there was a distinct line in the uh, nature of somebody's 
uh, who they are, you could tell. You know, what I mean, I'm not saying that's the case with everybody, but in America, where's what we're afraid of? We have provided enough assistance for everybody to have the basic needs, you know, to the point where the people that some of the people that make a little bit more money than they're supposed to can't afford health care, okay, are treated worse than those that don't even try. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? People that come in that are underneath their, you know, that really don't, and that's the problem. We've got a large system that takes care of a large amount of people and a large percentage of those people don't ever plan on getting out of the system. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're happy mm -hmm. right there. And, and what you're saying is in hope of if we give them the basics, they will graduate into a more productive member of society. And it just doesn't happen. It, it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, for us, especially in addiction, uh, there is a few people that will get up and claim God. There's a larger percentage of people, almost all of them, that will claim that God had something to do with it. But it was the pain that got them to get right. You know, I had to get life had to beat me up, man. I'm talking about beat me up, beat me up, beat me some more. You know, <laughs> you know it, it took a whole bunch of ass whoopings, right? You know, mm -hmm. for me to get to act right. And if someone would have stepped in and said, and they did, my mother for years stepped in and interceded, okay, and stopped the beat. Well, all it did was prolong my using. The moment when she said, hey, I'm done, quit it, what we call enabling, when she said, I'm going to stop enabling you, and I had to deal with it on my own, I was cured. Most amazing mm -hmm. thing in the world. You know, I didn't want to do drugs no more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we got to be careful with how much assistance we give because, you know, even to the point where there's a good proposal that if you're on some type of government assistance, assistance in the United States, then you should be drug tested, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a valid point. You know, if you don't, if you want free health care and, uh, you know, I think that you should at least be able to stay off narcotics. Now, yeah. what do you do with the people that can't? I don't know. I don't yeah. know, but I know, you know. Uh, so how long, how long have you been off? Almost two years. Almost two years. Two years. Yeah. And yeah. can you tell me what it feels like to be on drugs? Uh, you know, Because you've described it as the best thing or like one yes. of the best moments yes. life you've experienced yes. in your life. And I'm just curious now. Well, for, 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 for me, for me, it was a sexual deal. Uh, mm. You know, normal sex for a man and woman, you know, uh, anywhere from three minutes to half an hour, you know what I mean? At best on a good day. I mean, you know, you mm. really do it. Uh, you could do some methamphetamines and screw for eight hours, have sex for 10 hours mm. in a row. Have sex. And then, and then you, because of the nature of the drug, you might have sex with two or three girls at the same time. It was like living this porno lifestyle, right? Mm. And that's the major hangup with methamphetamines is that there's a sexual link to it. And so, yeah, I mean, intimacy, uh, you know, uh, all that, but what, what it ended up being in the end, what, it, you know, because my body had degraded, I had not taken care of myself. My sexual partners had degraded as well, you know, to clay. And so it just became like, I was just this robot with a heart on that was just screwing things with no purpose. Mm, yeah. And so, uh, but that was the large hangup, you know, uh, to be able to, to, 
you know, enjoy this sex life that was enhanced with narcotics that would just dominate your whole life, you know? And, uh, and it does not, it's not only for me, but it's for the larger majority of meth, of meth, methamphetamine users. That's what the hangup is. Uh, you know, yeah. and so, uh, yeah, that it was, it, there was in the middle of all that. Now there was turmoil, you know what I mean? There's all kinds of turmoil happening, but that was always greater than the turmoil, you know? And would you, would you say you regret any of the things you've did or done, or do you think this is like, this has helped you find your purpose and reshape your life? There is, there is probably, man, I don't know. I don't know if you can count all the regrets, you know, uh, but it's definitely shaped who I am because on TikTok and through my videos, you'll hear it or you read it a lot in the comments, uh, how about how real I am, you know, how, man, you're just so real, you know? And, and, uh, and so when I, when I speak, I relive those moments, you know, as they are, I don't hold nothing back, you know, uh, well, I have a real, you know, I, I've got, I've got myself in drugs and then started screwing my male drug dealer. Okay. And for a guy to get out and say that, cause I'm not I'm a homosexual. I was just, I'm a heterosexual guy. All right. And for me to talk about that in front of millions of people is a very powerful thing because people can't yeah. all the name called you you can't imagine all the names I've been called. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. And so, but that's one of the aspects of drug use. You will lose your center, you know, if you do enough drugs, you will lose characteristically who you are. Now, am I am I saying that uh I did that because of drugs? No, or am I saying that I I that uh that I don't want to downplay my activity and blame it all on drugs because I own it. You know, I did that, but had I not been on drugs, that probably would not happen. Right. And so drugs will make you uh, do a lot of things that probably wouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I mean, your, your natural selection, your natural order as a man is to, is to lead God, protect, have a family, you know, raised. And that's the first thing that goes in narcotics, you know, and, uh, and so you lose, you know, the laws of nature, you know, but it has defined my purpose. It has given me a, you know, it's been overwhelming the amount of people that I've spoken to on a daily basis that somehow, some way I've been fortunate enough to touch their life. I mean, yeah. that's, it's unreal. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm in, I'm in Arte syndicate. Uh, I, I talked to a lot of people, you know, and I would talk to like, I listened to Ed Milet and Ed would talk about, you know, money's great. You know, it, it's, it's important. All that, but the greatest thing you will do is help another human being. And I thought, yeah. you know what? That's the cheesiest, an that's the cheesiest answer I ever heard. You know what I mean? That's like, it's yeah. like gotta be one of these textbooks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> These whole yeah. billions dollars. You know? And it, and then that, I had that moment, you know, I had that moment in my life where like, I got it, you know, and it is, it is, it is, uh, it'll make you, there's problems in my life. I'm almost going to get emotional about it. Uh, there's things that happen in my life that are not even, for, I guess in times of my life, they would have collapsed me. They would have killed me. But because of, what I do in my life today, they're not even, they're not even pebbles. 
I just step right over them because of what I'm doing. You know, yeah. uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it's like the, what the saying goes, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I guess it's the fact that you've survived, let's say, one of the darkest moments of your life that you now feel kind of invincible, right? Like you can overcome because, you know, it's mind over matter. It's what you believe it in. And it's, it yeah. And I'm, I'm happy that you've taken that change in your life. And it's actually really hard for people to stay out of it once they're in it. Yeah. It's, you find a lot of people going in and out of prison until they end up dying in prison. And I guess it's not the life that you want, right? You want to you wanna, you wanna add value, I guess. Like, this is what I'm seeing. You want, you want to change people's lives. You want to be a source of influence. And it's not, not many people have this... I guess, motivation or this vision. So it's, but how, how did you manage to break the cycle? I don't, you know, in, in America and maybe we're in Jordan too, I don't know, but you know, as a kindergartner and very young in school, they'd have like career day, you know, and mm -hmm. you know, and the kids would get up and they'd say, well, I want to be a fireman or I want to be a policeman. I don't ever remember getting up and saying, Hey, I want to be a junkie. I want to be an ex-con. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't ever remember that moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I can't remember what my answer was. Uh, maybe as a football player. Or, but what broke the what broke the cycle was when I ran out of options. You know, mm. uh, at, at, you know when I when I could not manipulate uh, people that that had the courage to love me, uh, the system uh myself when I had to get when it when I was you know when they put bar the walls were all around me and it was just me you know and I and I knew for a fact that from this moment on the guy that was gonna have to uh solve the puzzle was was me it wasn't gonna be mom or dad you know what I mean that changed my life you know mm -hmm. because I got I'm tired of losing when you get tired of losing and I'll tell you another thing too that helps I teach this to a lot of people I, I listen to a lot of podcast a lot of podcasts. I listen to people that influence greatness in people. Okay. Whether it's Ed Milet, whether it's Andy Frisella at Real AF, whether it's there's a whole bunch, a whole slew of them, okay, that I listen to, and they're all talking about winning. And I didn't realize how powerful that was, you know. And, mm -hmm. and you'll hear about you'll because you'll hear uh, people, places, and things, you'll have to change people, places, and things. Well, when you do that fresh out of addiction, you're alone, like you're saying. And that's why a lot of people, re they they go back to it. They can't handle not being around people or being alone or, you know, or they'll go around the same places that they was using because they don't have a place to live, right? And so what I found in podcasts, it gives me the ability to be around people that have something I want that are ultra successful, you know? And I can relate my life to them, you know? Yeah. And so it's really helped me. So what do you do now other than TikTok? Do you have, uh, I saw that like that you have a construction site, uh, yes. a website yes, where I, you I, do like construction work and stuff. Is that still going? Yes, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a uh, 20,000 pound excavator, a semi, some goosenecks and a backhoe. And we mainly clear property and, and, do dirt work. Uh, it's been really slow. Uh, my, I'm in my first year, of, just a little bit of first year of business. 
it's been and and we'll remove some trees we do that uh right now i've been healing so i haven't worked in the last month and a half and probably another mm. month off until this day gets right and yeah. then i've got a home on a on a lake that i airbnb that is supplemented it's it's been a reason why we're still in business because we <laughs> it's been the money that's put you know went back into business um mm. and then i've been writing a book and that slowed because this is really the first time I've been able to sit at a table for this period of time because of my leg. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll get back to writing it. And then we're starting, a, I've got a couple websites and then we'll start doing print on demand with some of the merchandise. I get a lot of requests for t-shirts and stuff and we'll start doing that and then maybe build a fulfillment center. You know, What's the book about? That's where I'm wanting to get up. Uh, the same kind of stuff we're talking about experiences. Uh it's about a, it's about a lot of stories. I, I I tell a lot of stories on my I've got longer my podcast or my TikToks typically run two two and a half minutes and they're stories mm. and people you know when you when you had people identify with stories a lot better than they do anything else you know and so it's me writing some stories that I haven't told and then me just repurposing some stories that I have told I'm about yeah. eighteen thousand words into it yeah. So I'm, I'm, I've got a good start, 18,000. And how many how many followers did you say you have like across your social media platforms? Right now, I've got 150 on one. I've got another five on another one. And then I've got my Facebook's almost maxed out, which is five. Instagram, I do not know. Uh, and then YouTube, I'm getting ready to, to get to 500 followers. Uh, but I just wow. repurpose videos from TikTok, yeah. you know. And so I've I've got I've got God, you know, I've gotten some good receptions uh uh with people. The main thing with TikTok is is trying to keep your account alive because people can, you know, uh report your video yeah. and then you know they'll you know they'll delete your account and you gotta start all over again. I've mm -hmm. got, this is my fourth account, you know. <laughs> so wow. there ain't no telling how many people I've interacted with, you know. Yeah, and if people want to get so, like in touch or like follow your accounts, what, what are they like? What's your TikTok? What's your Instagram? My 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 Facebook's under Jason Scott Davis. Uh, mm. Everything else, TikTok, uh, is Jason with a felony, all one word. And then there's another account, Jason with a felonies, just in case they shut the other one down. Yeah. YouTube and Instagram is Jason with a felony. Yeah. yeah. So it's all uh, under Jason with a felony. And let's leave it on that note. If you have one advice, and I like to ask this question to a lot of people, and it's considered like a difficult one as well. So let's see if it challenges you a little bit. But if you had, if you've been told that you're only allowed to give one advice and one advice only, what would that be? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I think without a doubt, if you really want true satisfaction in your life, if you want some type of value, that you got to have the courage to know your dream and follow it. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that you could teach your children and everybody around you that, Hey, this is, this is what I, I want. This is what I believe in. This is what I'm about. And not, uh, defraud that you know yeah. it shouldn't go against humanity it shouldn't it shouldn't be like one of these things where it, it's rough or violates people it should be your vision of your dream 
and you should pursue it because inside that dream is everything you love doing. Yeah. You know, and if, and if, and, and people, you'll hear, that's another cheesy answer you'll hear. People say, well, do what you love. You know, <laughs> don't worry yeah. about the money. <laughs> and it's true. It's, it's absolutely yeah. true because if you're doing what you love, you're not worried about, there's been nights, man, I've ate, I've only ate Raymond noodles, you know, and I was just as happy as eating a steak. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I've, this is, this was great. I mean, you know, this was really insightful from having a chance to see what it's like, you know, to live in prison and then seeing what it's like to, to live afterwards. I think this was like a, and things like got a bit emotional as well. So I think that's like one of my best episodes so far. And I'm really happy that you've, oh, thank you. you know, you've given me the opportunity to have you on this podcast. And I would like to thank you for everything. <laughs>